Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It is time for our Friday Orange and Brown Talk podcast. Dan Lobby with Scott Patsko, Ashley Bass, Doug Maurice, and Mary Kay Cabot. Uh, wrapping up the week at the Combine here uh, in Indianapolis. But before we get to the receivers, look, we teased on Thursday's pod that we were going to talk receivers. And Doug teased an Anthony Schwartz something or other. So we are going to get to that. We're not going to break our promises here to you on the pod. But right before we hit record here, and it's about 445 on Thursday, uh, Mary Kay posted a story about Baker Mayfield. And Mary Kay, uh, essentially Baker's reps and Andrew Berry and the Browns top thinkers uh, met with Baker Mayfield's reps. They reinforced everything we've heard over the last couple of days that Baker Mayfield is in fact going to be the starting quarterback. You know, this is significant because we've, we've said it before, you can always say the right thing. You can always say, this is our guy. This is going to be our starter. We expect him to be our starter. There's ways to kind of play with words and, you know, still kind of replace the guy. But it feels like, you know, with this report on top of everything we've heard the last two days, this is what it's going to be. Like Baker Mayfield is going to be the starter week one in 2022. Yes, barring some unforeseen circumstance, they are not messing around with this. These are not semantics. This is not a case of, you know, let's just kind of say this is happening while we go out and uh, try to find something else. The truth of the matter is there really are almost no other options anymore. There may have been some uh, that came available, but those things all sort of dried up. I mean, we had talked about the Derek Cars and maybe the Kirk Cousins. Those things would cost so much in terms of money and draft picks. Uh, the cost-benefit analysis is such that it's just not worth it. It's really not worth it for them to do that. Uh, they don't feel there is a better veteran option out there for them. They are running it back with Baker Mayfield, and that is what they basically articulated to his camp today. So, you know, Baker has that knowledge now. I mean, he really, uh, you know, has been you know, convinced that, yeah, you know what, no matter what rumors you're hearing or seeing, or, you know, matter – how many times Mary Kay Cabot writes that <laughs> <laughs> that that they're going to try to dra- you know sign Mitch Trubisky? No, uh, no, but they really did. The two sides really did talk and just say, you know, you're our guy in 2022, and let's all do everything that we can to make this as good as we can going forward. But the other part of this, Doug, is, and I'll read this paragraph here, and I. This might be equally as important as that bit of news. 
The two sides also agreed that he'll head into the final season of his contract, the fifth year option, without an extension, but with a chance to prove he's their long-term answer. So this is sort of like, yeah, you're our starter, but we're not going to give you any sort of vote of confidence beyond that. You, you still got to prove it. Yeah, which we all expected, right? That, that, that was, that's not a surprise. I mean, it, it is one of those things we do end up here. And I think it's important to say, like, what, what else are they going to say kind of stuff, right? There, the, one of the big stories that early here at the Combine was Chris Ballard, the Indianapolis Colts GM, saying a lot of things in his press conference about Carson Wentz that were like, eh, yeah, I don't know, man. You know, that like, it was like an example of, oh, that is the other thing you can say. Right. So, and you know, and again, whatever they say to us, whatever they say in news conferences, whatever, but that Mary Kay is reporting, they are saying this to Baker's people. Mm-hmm. We knew they weren't doing the contract now, but that is a, that is a world of difference to me. It's not what you say, it's who you say it to. So I think this is, the closest thing it's like i don't know what you call it. it's a vote of opportunity Ooh, a vote of opportunity <laughs> that it's like yeah you're the guy and go show us that we should give you a new contract great so okay but that this seems like a major step that they're saying it to his people mm-hmm. yeah I, I agree and scott i mean we've spent so much time kicking around the options and what does this mean trying to read the tea leaves i mean this just does feel for all the quarterback discussions we've had and, and trying to you know read between the lines of what people say this does feel like okay we got an answer let's go let's move forward now yeah i mean they basically whittled down some of the options that we went over uh, in our baker mayfield uh series right you've gotten uh trading him for a uh, for a starter off the table you got bringing in um a well basically you know replacing him with another starter is off the table. They're still you know, on the table, bringing in somebody who has started before as a backup. They're still obviously drafting somebody relatively high on the table. Um, he's basically uh, on a prove it deal now, which again, like Doug said, we've all kind of assumed that that was going to be the case that uh, he probably was not going to get that extension going into the year. And um, I guess, you know, if you're Baker Mayfield, you get a little more clarity. I'm sure the, the vote of confidence, at least for this season is good. Um, and anybody else who's thinking about the Browns free agency wise, uh, you've gotten the word out that they at least know who the quarterback's going to be this year. So it's, it's smart to do it now. I mean, it's smart to say these things and let it be known. Um, because like I said, you, you whittle down some of the options and now you just kind of move forward. So I, I still have to write about my rookie quarterback, uh, <laughs> quarterbacks that I talked to, I guess that's not off the table. So they've, they haven't taken any work off my plate uh, this week, um, <laughs> but definitely no more uh, what's up with Derek Carr and Aaron Rodgers type posts for sure. So Ashley, I mean, that, Scott mentioned something important there. This is, this is an important step because like Jarvis Landry needs to know who the quarterback's going to be. Devonte Adams and Chris Godwin and Mike Williams and Michael Gallup and whoever else, they need to know who the quarterback is going to be. You know, when, when you think about that order of operation in the offseason, that league year opens in about a week, you know, a little over a week here uh, when people are going to start listening to this. You, you had to get this answer somehow figured out. You had to know who that guy was going to be before you could go to any receivers and say, all right, sign with us. But eh, we don't know who the quarterback is. Well, now they know and they can decide based off that. Right. I mean, we've talked about that order of operations, if we're going to call it that math term. So, so much. I mean, even I, I stole that. Of, I stole that from somebody at the combine. I don't remember which GM said it, but I like it. it. 
it's great. I love it. I'll, I will be stealing it from you now, but yeah, I mean, like we've talked about that. If they are to sign a receiver in free agency, you know, a big time receiver, that's going to dictate what they do with 13. Like maybe they pick a receiver maybe they pick an edge rusher if that's what they really want, or it could dictate these guys all have different skill sets and, and things like that. It could dictate who they actually take there if they still do take a receiver. But yeah, I mean, when we've talked so much about Andrew Barry and this organization, we talk about the stability that they've brought to Cleveland, especially in compared to some of these past regimes in the recent past here. Um, and I just think this making it known this early that this is happening is kind of setting up that stability going into the new league year, like you were saying, Dan, and so much of this stuff is related and it's kind of a butterfly effect. And uh, they really, I think, just kind of created the most stable environment they can for these guys to, to make these decisions if they are thinking about coming here in free agency. So, so Mary Kay, how does this impact though, like, you know, I just wrote about Malik Willis today. You've written a lot about Malik Willis. You know, we're all writing about some of these rookie quarterbacks. Uh, Carson Strong, Kenny Pickett. Uh, who knows? Maybe Kenny Pickett's going to be a fourth-round pick at this point. Uh, but how does this impact, like, the plan B option that we've all kicked around so much? You know, whether that's – I know you said they wouldn't sign a veteran to replace Baker. Could they still sign a veteran like a Mitch Trubisky behind Baker or draft behind Baker? How does this affect kind of that plan B? narrative, I suppose. Well, I think uh, a lot of things are still in play in that regard, but the more I've talked to people over the last couple of days, I'm kind of getting the feeling that the Mitch Trubisky option isn't necessarily one that that they're going to pursue in part because uh, Mitch Mitch Trubisky is probably going to get a starting job this year. Somebody's going to make him an offer uh, that, you know, it could be, it could even possibly be double digit millions. I mean, that's the state of uh, quarterbacking in the NFL as, as we head into 2022. Uh, so that's, you know, not something that they are thinking probably is even a realistic option. And then um, I just also want to mention real quick, cause I put this in the column. Uh, I've talked to several people that have said that, you know, they are not, one of the teams that is in hot pursuit of Jimmy Garoppolo. And I know they've been linked to Jimmy Garoppolo. You know, I don't know if it's more rumors or whatever the case may be, but that just doesn't seem to be in play, you know, at all here. And, and that was the case even before it came to light that he was having shoulder surgery that will keep him out into the summer. So that's not something that I think we need to be thinking about, but as far as the rookies are concerned, um, my guess is that they are still going to dig into the film. They, they really are going to do more due diligence. And as you, found, as you guys found out, the same thing that I found out at the Senior Bowl, it's, it's hard not to like Malik Willis once you start digging in there. I think he's climbing enough that he probably won't be available at number 13. I could be wrong about that. But I think there's a chance that, um, you know, that he's going to be gone by then, especially in a year when quarterbacks are at a premium. So I don't think that's super realistic. Um, I don't think it's out of the question at all that they will, you know, maybe draft a a later round prospect just to try to take a flyer on someone. But I think if they're going to look in the draft for a quarterback, they might end up waiting till next year when it's a much stronger class. I think it would be insane to go into next year without a real plan B. 
I, I think that I think it would be. I agree. I'm going to use two I words. I think it would be insane, and I think it would be irresponsible. And that has nothing mm-hmm. to do with Baker. Like if Baker comes mm-hmm. back and plays like a top ten quarterback, and you've got a plan B, okay, whatever. Then you went out and got a plan B, and you were covered. But like. Man, if he comes back and he's like just okay, and the offense sputters and the passing game sputters, and you're six and seven after 13 games or seven and six and struggling to make it into the wild card, I think that is just, I don't think you can do that. No matter how you feel about it, I think even the biggest Baker fan in the world has to at least think, like, yeah, it would be okay to bring in a plan B. I think you have to have somebody just in case that you could turn to in week eight or nine if you had to. Yeah, I mean, I'm on record as saying if in in the chance that Malik did fall to number 13, I would hand in that card so fast it wouldn't even be funny. So I would for sure do that. And there might be a couple of other quarterbacks that you could kind of uh, place into that category. But um, yeah, I would do something like that. And I, I would do I would also do Mitch if you could get him. But if you you know, if you can't, I mean, there are a few other sort of plan beers out there. And, you know, I probably would sign one of them. Um, I, I don't know. I, I, don't, I don't get a strong vibe that that's going to happen. And let me just say this very quickly. And that is, having said this and having written what I just wrote, if there are unforeseen circumstances that happen in the NFL, a guy could become available that you didn't think was going to hit the market. So even though we're saying, you know, and they are telling Baker's reps, he's our guy. We're going into 2022 and and he's our starting quarterback. There is that off chance that something could pop free and it could change. But barring that, this is the way it will be. Yeah, I mean, I agree with you, Dan. I mean, we've talked so much about how this team is built to win now. And there's so many pieces around the quarterback where things are set. So yeah, like you, you kind of discussed like this worst case scenario for if Baker doesn't pan out and then it's like, well, then what? And obviously we've talked a lot too about how next year's quarterback class in that draft is a lot stronger than this year. So that's one option, but it does seem kind of silly to not be planning at all, especially knowing how, knowing what we know about how Andrew Barry approaches the offseason and talks about, you know, we, we look at everything like we're building an expansion team. So I, I definitely think it's, it's a bit weird to not have a plan B at all. It seems like right now. So. You know what, maybe the plan, maybe the plan B is somebody other than Mitch, you know, maybe yeah. it's, maybe it's a Teddy, maybe it's a Mark, you know what I mean? Maybe, maybe yeah, I mean, I, I, it doesn't have to be Mitch. It can be, right. I, I'm just saying a plan B. I don't care what the name is. And, and right. I think man, if you're thinking about the draft next year, yeah, I mean, look, Baker was as bad as he is probably ever going to be this year. And they're picking 13. Right. Like you're, you're not getting CJ Stroud or Bryce Young next year or whoever differentiates themselves. I don't know. I, I just, there's gotta be something I don't know. Does anybody just looking at the zoom here as we're recording, it didn't seem like anyone disagreed with, with that option. The, the only thing I disagree with you on Dan is the fact that you said even the biggest Baker fan would not be opposed to a plan okay. B and so <laughs> that I would say, don't go on Twitter because clearly you haven't experienced that side of Twitter enough. And I want to protect you from that side of Twitter. <laughs> I, I will say I am still slightly reeling from the Scott Patsko knowledge drop from yesterday that Case Keenum was the highest paid backup quarterback in the league last year. Cause it's like, Oh, they don't have a plan B. It's like, 
they have the highest paid plan be in the league and they refuse to play him. So like all of this is like, well, it can't, it just, it can't be that again. Right. It's gotta be, I, I agree with you, Dan. Like it's just, it's gotta be something else other than what it was last year, something cheaper and better. <laughs> Whoever it was last year. I mean, I, who would have been someone they would have turned to quicker? I think we still would have gone through that process of Baker downplaying the injury, playing poorly, then acknowledging the injury, but still playing like that all would have happened. I don't care who their backup was case Keenum, or if even they had Mitch Trubisky last year or whoever. Um, I think that still would have happened because Baker would have had a big hand in making it happen. I think it would have been hard just to turn just because you had somebody other than Case Keenum. And that would probably be the case in 2022 as well. It's just tough yeah. to make that, that decision because once you make it, uh, then you're, you're kind of stuck in a way because if you keep going back and forth, and we've seen that more than enough times over the past 20 years with the Browns, how messy that can all become. Um, I think coaches just want to avoid that to begin with. Yeah, and you know, obviously, for for the reasons you mentioned, Ashley Baker's complicated. <laughs> you know, the Baker Bros. If we want to use that term, I know the uh, Baker Bros. <laughs> oh, hey, I got a text this morning from somebody who was upset from all the people who are bashing Baker, and how he hoped that he goes to the Steelers and comes back and beats the Browns for the next fifteen years. You know, and this is a Browns and Baker fan. And I told him, and I texted him back. I said, "What people?" He said, "People on Facebook." And I'm like, get off Facebook. And then I told him, like, you, can, you don't even need all your fingers to count the number of fan bases in the NFL who are totally happy with their QB situation. Like, it's a small number. And people are going to bash the Browns quarterback. People are going to, you know, people hated LeBron when he was here. It doesn't, people are always going to be upset. It's not going to be a total love fest. I'm sure there were Buccaneers fans who were, like, upset that Tom Brady came there and, how they didn't have any future set because he got some old dude who cares if he's winning Super Bowls now. What about next year? <laughs> I mean, having said all of this, I mean, you know, they're going to go out and sign uh, Tom Brady next week, right? <laughs> Five number one picks. That's all they want. But he'll come in as the, he'll come in as the backup. Of course. Oh, yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Not, a Bruce, not a Bruce Arians. That's his way. Okay. All Let, let's take a do is five number one picks. That's all he asked for. Yeah. <laughs> All right, let's take a quick break, and then Doug is going to hit us with his Anthony Schwartz, I don't even know what to call it, theory, thought. We're going to get that on the other side of the break here. Back on the Orange and Brown Talk podcast. Doug, we teased it on Thursday. We teased it before the break. It is time. Let's talk some Anthony Schwartz. So we're at the Combine, and we're watching drills and bench press and 40-yard dashes and all those things. But I thought Kevin Stefanski told an interesting story in his news conference on Wednesday. And he was talking about they had a Zoom last year with Anthony Schwartz during the draft process. And he talked about, and I like this phrase, it's not intelligence or football intelligence. It's the capacity to learn. And they were so impressed with Anthony Schwartz on this Zoom and putting him through some things and, and trying to figure out if he could play all three receiver positions. Cause especially if you're drafting a guy, not maybe in the first round, who's going to have to be able to do multiple things. Can he understand multiple responsibilities and in an install and say, well, what does this receiver spot do? What does this receiver spot do? And the way 
that Kevin Stefanski told the story. And again, you guys are around it all the time. I'm not. So I didn't know if it was a new story, or an old story. It basically sounded like that's the Zoom that got Anthony Schwartz drafted. That it, they said he they said it's not just this track guy. It's not just a fast guy. He exhibited a capacity to learn and mm-hmm. understand multiple positions and digest an install and a new playbook and a new responsibilities that really got their attention. And that's why he went in the third round to the Browns. And I talked to Kevin Stefanski a little bit more about that idea, that capacity to learn after the fact. And it just fascinates me because clearly you can't like not draft a guy who's maybe not as good at that. If he can go up over two cornerbacks and make a one-handed touchdown catch or whatever, right. That it's not the most important, important skill set, but it clearly is a separator, Right. And it, it's on one hand, it could be like super important. It's like, hey, we're making a game plan. Here's what you're supposed to do. And they were just, you know, he was talking about they do things, you know, you'll install something for 40 minutes and then go back and test guys on it and try to figure out like, did they get it? Do they know what they're supposed to do in a short amount of time? And so, Scott, I think Scott said you have something to say about this. I don't know if I'm like super excited, like, Cool. It's the story of Anthony of how Anthony Schwartz became a Brown. It's like, did you maybe overdo it on this capacity to learn thing? Because like, I don't know if he looks so good. But I thought it was an interesting way to look at it. We know that, right? We know this is important. The interviews are important. But trying to test the mental acuity of football players in 15 minutes, but or you know, we all the tests that people have talked about over the years. You know, Kevin said like you try to you try to figure this out from talking to their coaches and stuff too. How were they in that part of the game? But Anthony Schwartz excelled at it and they thought he could, he could understand and play multiple positions. And it was a huge part in the Browns liking him. You know what? Oh, go ahead, Scott. You go. Uh, So this was, this was originated off your question, right? Doug, um, you'd originally broached this with them during the big, uh, the big media session right and the question was again you know how much a player's capacity to learn factors into how successful they'll ultimately be so his the way he started i'm going off the transcript he said it is a good question i think it varies by guy now when i heard that like if you're going to describe something like that i'm thinking all right a guy who got it on the zoom but it didn't really work out when we got him on the field or a guy who and we weren't really sure on the zoom but when he got on the field yeah, he got it. So he started talking about Anthony Schwartz and just like, as he was talking, I'm thinking subconsciously, is he talking himself into a corner with Anthony Schwartz? Did he think of Anthony Schwartz as a guy who sounded great on zoom? And then when we got him on the field, it didn't really work out the way we thought it would based on that zoom call. That's what I was thinking when he was talking, obviously he didn't go there, but I think now that we know how well Anthony Schwartz did on that zoom, versus how Anthony Schwartz performed during the season, it does make you kind of wonder, did he oversell himself a little bit in that Zoom call? I don't know. It was obviously enough to get him uh, drafted, but it certainly didn't turn out to be the kind of season you expected from from a guy who was a third-round pick. Well, you know what? And you guys, I've been saying this all along uh, with, with Anthony Schwartz, and I really, really do believe this in my heart of hearts. When a, a rookie misses almost all of training camp, he missed all of training camp, all of the offseason. I mean, from the minute he tweaked a hamstring after the first day of rookie minicamp, he did nothing really for the rest of, of 
training camp. And when that happens to a rookie player, most of the time they don't even play as a rookie. I mean, it's, it's like lights out, it's over. So I think the fact that he was able to get on the field at all just by using mental reps, I think it's actually quite remarkable. And I can see it. I've seen it in practice. I've seen it. Uh, I've seen flashes of what they're talking about in games. There is something there. There's something about him. And I'm just telling you right now, I watched Braylon Edwards miss an entire training camp when Dante Stallworth stepped on his foot in training camp. And I think it was the year after he had 16 touchdown catches. And he was not the same that year. And he was a veteran. He was absolutely not the same. So I think for Anthony to be able to go out there and function with no training camp whatsoever and no offseason, I think it I think it was actually very remarkable. And I'm seeing the flashes of what they're talking about. And if this young man can stay healthy, uh, I I think he can have uh, I think he can take a significant jump in year two. The story actually made me feel better about Anthony Schwartz because I, I was actually concerned like, oh, they just took this guy in the third round because he ran a fast 40 time. And th- oh. that actually made me really nervous because like there's a lot of dudes that ran fast 40 times and did nothing in the league, right? Like John Ross, where is he? You all re- do you all remember Kent State's finest Dree Archer? You know, he was a 42640 guy. These are like some of the highest t- you, you Google the fastest 40 yard dash times, and there's some names that are like, what in the world? I don't even remember that and, name. Andy Isabella, <laughs> Northeast Ohio guy, went in the second round a couple of years ago and apparently like is on some is on the market looking for a trade because he hasn't worked out. Right. So I mean the fact that it's not just the speed, but it's the fact that they talked to him and it was like, whoa, this guy was really smart. And honestly, when he's talked to us, he's he's not real polished. You can tell he's a little nervous when he talks to us, but you can kind of tell he's a thoughtful guy. And like, you can tell there's something there, you know, that, that actually made me feel better. Like, okay, this guy's going to learn something because I didn't see a super fast guy when he had the ball in his hands this year. And I don't know if that's just because he was hesitant or he was thinking too much, but if he does kind of, I guess if his brain catches up to his speed, as far as understanding the game and, and, you know, if he's not thinking as much out there and he is just sort of playing, I think that's sort of where you start to unlock something. Yeah. I've been team Mary Kay on this just in terms of the injuries, because I think like you're saying, Dan, with this overthinking, had he had all that time to go through the off season and camp and do all that stuff, like, Maybe if, if it is an overthinking thing, maybe he wouldn't be doing that. Maybe he would be processing things a little bit quicker. So I, I kind of have always maybe considered this a little bit of a wash for him that we can't necessarily glean everything just from this year. Right. Isn't a guy who did so well on the Zoom call supposed to be able to miss so much time and come in and perform well? Yeah, but I just think like in theory, it's that's better in theory than an actual like execution for rookies. And Mary Kay maybe will say this more eloquently than I'm about to. But but I think there is something to just like getting out there and getting that experience and getting the from the college game to the NFL game. There are so many differences in that these coaches can maybe glean when a guy can do that, but it doesn't mean they don't need work and they don't need time in the NFL to actually adapt mentally and physically. Yeah. And then of course, 
uh, it was another major setback to miss three games with a concussion. I mean, that that's a big deal. Uh, so I, I actually think his rookie season was basically a wash in my mind. And at the beginning, and I'll, I mean, I'll own the fact that I think he's a, that he's a five touchdown uh, player. And I, and I mean that in uh, however you could get them, whether it's, you know, again, one on a return, one on a run and three catches. I, I, that's where I see him. I see him as being capable of that. And that didn't happen this year. Uh, I think because of all of the injuries, but um, you know, I'm, I'm going to transfer that over to, you know, to next year because I, he didn't get a chance to, to try to do that kind of stuff this year. So if you'll let me, I'm going to say, I'm going to try that again next year because I think that's what he can do if he's given the opportunity. The, the Kareem other Hunt's part a five-touchdown guy. Pardon me? The, Kareem Hunt's a five-touchdown guy. I, I think we have many five-touchdown guys. <laughs> I think we have figured out who is the new – the Browns hate this receiver guy for Scott Patsko. I think the, the torch has been passed from Rashard <laughs> uh, No, I think I, – I don't know. I but, don't know if he fits. But I do think so. I think the capacity to learn discussion, I think, is interesting for the player. I think it's an interesting Anthony Schwartz story. I also think it's an interest. It was, I was interested in how enthusiastic Kevin Stefanski seemed to be about telling the story and that he was fired up about a capacity to learn guy. Because you know who I think is a capacity to learn guy Garrett. in this draft? Garrett, Garrett. Wilson. Garrett Wilson. And you know so. what, Doug, here's, and you guys, this is, this is something that, that we could all try to remember about this. You're dealing with an incredibly brilliant front office, a brilliant front office. So they are being evaluated by Ivy league coaches and, uh, and general managers. So capacity to learn and, that cerebral, cerebral aspect of the game is vitally important to this group. They want really smart, smart football players. And so, you know, remember that they're, you know, when they say they're smart, they're smart. Well, and that's why, um, you know, yesterday I, I just kind of randomly listened to, to John Meachie from Alabama and like, I didn't know what to expect. And, you know, these guys are all coached up. They're taught what to say, but you sort of listen real closely and you kind of pick up on things. And he just talked over and over again about like, man, I love to block. I'm the best blocker in this class, right? And I know Traylon Burks was saying something like that. And that's something the Browns value. Uh, he talked about what he want, what he looks for on film and how, you know, his style, his film watching style and all of that. And so, so you kind of see, okay, this guy's kind of a worker too. Um, he's lived in three different places. He was born in Taiwan and has lived in Africa and Canada. And, you know, so this is a really cultured, intelligent player. And you just, you can feel like that guy's going to sit in the room with the Browns and maybe they're not going to fall in love with him, but something is going to stand out about this guy. And that doesn't mean they're going to draft him. It doesn't mean they're going to pick him over somebody else they like better who doesn't have that background, but you know, it's little things like that that kind of stand out when you hear these guys talk. And it's, it's sort of like the Malik Willis thing, right? Like Malik Willis probably sat in that room all weekend or all week and has probably blown some teams away with his knowledge of the game and, and sort of how he just his personality. Mm-hmm. And there okay. are teams that there are teams that value certain traits above others. I mean, you know, the teams that want a really big receiver, right? I mean, there are trends that happen over the years. 
but I think that is one thing as we get to learn this regime uh, that they really value uh, very high football acumen, very high football acumen. Uh, it, it's super high up on their list. And that's why you have, you know, guys like, you know, Grant Delpit and, uh, you know, John Johnson, they come in here and, you know, you, they have that. And uh, it will always be the common denominator, the common thread amongst the players the Browns acquire. All right. So real quick, let's get into some of these receivers uh, that talked on Wednesday. We're working They're working out as we're recording this. Uh, they're they're going to be taking the field here in Indianapolis. Ashley, tell us about one of the receivers you wrote about. I know you, I know you wrote about Drake London, and I think you were going to write about Jamison Williams too, yes. if you haven't already. Um, so pick a guy. Tell us about why that guy might fit the Browns. Yeah, let's go with Drake London. I know we talked about Jamison Williams, I think, on, on last one of last week's podcasts, we had a big discussion about whether or not we thought he was a viable option for them at 13, if they should consider it. Um, but Drake London, I, I really was kind of surprised how much the basketball stuff came up, which obviously is great for me. I mean, I, I think that's an intriguing storyline with him, number one, but he really did seem like somebody who really has translated those skills. Like he talked about for him going up for a contested catch is just like getting the re a rebound that has helped him like that physicality kind of carried over. And obviously when we talk about Drake London, that's what he's so good at is making those contested catches. He led college football in that last year. Um, and personality wise, you know, he was more, I would say reserved, like he wasn't quiet exactly but definitely not a super flashy guy comes off as somebody who just wants to, to get out there and do the work. He's not working out here. Obviously he had that season ending uh, ankle injury, so he will not be working out here. He said he's trying to run at the, his pro day. So we're going to have to wait a little bit for numbers off of him. Um, but I'm still curious, like depending on what other receivers do this week, how his stock might still rise or fall. Um, but yeah, I definitely think I'm leaving here thinking he is still an intriguing prospect for them at 13, just given his size, that's something that, uh, some of these other guys don't have, even though he's not the quickest, but I do think that's why I'm so curious to see what his numbers actually end up being after his pro day to kind of see how he compares and if his size really makes up for him, maybe being a little bit slower. Tallest mm -hmm. receiver here measured at six, four second heaviest at 219 behind Traylon Burks. And he looks the part too. <laughs> he, he looks He's like big. a big guy. Yeah. When that, that, that was my first impression when he walked to the podium, he was right on the end. So he had to walk past our scrum and I'm like, he, this guy's six, four, like, you know, there's no mistaking it. They were not lying about his height on the USC roster that badly. He is big and looks it. And, you know, just like, I mean, like I said, given his basketball background and his, his physical attributes, he just, he likes making those kind of contested catches. He's not afraid to do it. So I definitely think I came here thinking that was his best attribute and I'm leaving here thinking that that's his best attribute. You know, when I think of some of the, the bigger receivers that they, that, will be available to them. Um, obviously, he's one of the best, and I think they're going to be happy with probably any one of those three if they are available to them, Garrett, Drake, Traylon. Um, but I don't mind the shorter receiver at all. In fact, my last draft, I picked two miniature. I had like it was like the whole miniature draft. It was like a mini bunch of people. But um, I don't mind a smaller receiver for the Cleveland Browns a smaller, shiftier, 
you know, Tyreek size guy a little bit um, because they use their tight ends so much in the passing game that they can, they, ha- they can play tall ball that way. Uh, and you can, you know, you obviously use those guys down in the red zone and in the end zone, and you can get those mismatches in height, uh, you know, with your tight ends. And even though I do really like size and I think it's important um, in some instances, I do think that they have receiving height amongst their tight ends. Therefore, even if they took one or two smaller receivers, I would not have a problem with that. I like small shifty. I mean, when I, when I watch Tyreek Hill and, you know, I watch some of the, the guys that are sort of in that mold, that's what I think the Browns need almost like the Odell kind of a guy. So I prefer that right now for them. And I think they can get away with it because of what else they have on their offense. So Scott, you wrote about Traylon Burks and sometimes I think about Traylon Burks and I'm like, this guy's kind of all the best traits of all these receivers. Well, why doesn't somebody just take him? I I feel like he checks a lot of boxes. He's got that size. Um, He just seems to be the, the full pack. Yeah, big and fast, and he's been compared to A.J. Brown in that way. Um, He has played uh, a lot inside, but during the interview uh, with us the other day, he he mentioned how if he had to pick, he'd probably play outside. He likes the fact that he can be uh, physical and and uses speed, and he's got less people to worry about, you know, playing inside. He got the linebacker, he got safety to think about. Outside, it's you in the corner a lot of times, and you have, uh, a little more opportunity to kind of beat that guy up. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, in that respect, I think he does kind of just the versatility of what he can do. Um, as a runner, he, he really watches a lot of Debo Samuel. Um, the Browns, they kind of use like Jarvis Landry as Samuel Light, maybe a little bit the last couple of years. You know, he's the guy who got a lot of carries. He's back there. Sometimes I'll throw the ball, but um, they kind of used him in different uh different ways like that, especially near the goal line. And um, that's how Sam, or that's how Burks has been used pretty much since high school. He, they just found different ways to get him the ball and, and it's really worked out. He was over seven passing <laughs> at Arkansas, <laughs> but uh, obviously they weren't afraid to have him throw it. Uh, but yeah, I think if you're looking like, if you, if you're anticipating not having Jarvis Landry, Burke seems like a really good option and not only uh, taking some of those plays that they use Jarvis, specifically for, but also as an option on the outside as well. Um, he also talked about uh, his tattoos. People asked him about his tattoos. He has a dog tattoo. I mean, what, what more do you want? He's got a dog tattoo, uh, but it's one of his dogs. He's a big hunter. He hunts with dogs, um, hunts hogs. Apparently the dogs flush him out that he can runs up and tackles them and, you know, gets the job done, which, you know, I don't know Wyatt Teller, a big hunter. We know he likes out- carrying alligators. I tweeted that joke. I was like, let's draft a new best friend for Wyatt Teller because these two just seem like they would get along. And I mean, if you, oh, yeah. if anyone listening has not like seen these Traylon Burks quotes or, or listened to his, his podium interview, I mean, when he's talking about hunting hogs, like it's like Scott said, like he is tackling them and using oh, yeah. like a knife. I mean, it's, it sounded like intense wilderness type stuff. So yeah. Yeah, people are people are afraid of uh, of Miles Garrett running up and down a basketball court. How are they going to feel about Traylon Burks sneaking around, uh, you know, the wilderness with a knife in his mouth, you know, waiting to tackle a hog? I, I don't know. But 
but again, yeah, it's just, just versatile, big and fast. And like you said, Dan, he, he kind of has a collection of, of traits that I think you'd have to really like, especially for a team that likes to run the ball as much as the Browns do. If they could get somebody at receiver who can mimic some of the things that Debo Samuel does for the 49ers, uh, that would just be a new wrinkle that this team has not had. He's two inches taller and 42 pounds heavier than Garrett Wilson. <laughs> and we are, again, we're a little caught in between here because guys are working out right now. We're recording this podcast. I think it's possible, depending what Traylon Burks runs, which you guys will know by the time you listen to this, I think it's possible if he tears it up that uh, he could come out of here as the number one receiver on people's yeah. boards because of this rare size speed package. They didn't feed him the ball a ton in Arkansas, but I mean, he was over a thousand yards receiving and he can play inside and out. And he just looks ripped like when he's standing there and he seems like a great dude and a hardworking guy. And like, just all again, he's, there's some big receivers in this draft. There's some fast receivers in this draft. I think there's one big fast receiver in this draft and it's Traylon Burks. And we may come away from Indianapolis with, the league being in love with this guy. And if, if you want a non-diva, he might be your guy too. A lot of yes, sir, no, sir in his interview. Mary Kay, I don't want to put Andrew Barry and Kevin Stefanski and Paul D. Podesta in a box, but I would love to be in that room to hear them talk with Traylon Burks about tackling hogs and stabbing <laughs> them. That doesn't well, seem, I mean, based on what we, I mean, we've all written stories about them and looked into their backgrounds and I, I never came across anything like that. Well, now Scott might remember, Scott, do you remember Brown's rookie linebacker, Kaluka Mayava? Oh my uh, do you, does anybody? That's a, that's a deep cut. I don't even remember yeah. when he was drafted. Is this was that a Ray rem- Farmer pick? This, rem- this uh, that was back in uh, actually 2009, and I, re- oh, I mean, so that I was, just that remember- was going back to Mangini. Okay. Yeah. Mm. So he used to um, hunt wild boar in the same way he hunted wild boar, and you know, with a knife and tackling and all that kind of stuff. So, so he would be the uh, the second Browns player that we know of uh, <laughs> that has done something along these lines, and that was a that was a big story, of course, back then when we were all writing that. Um, but it, you know, it, it's, it's different. I mean, uh, you're certainly not going to be afraid of anybody on the football field. So I think it, you know, makes you stand out. Um, and you're right. He's, he's the all around kind of guy and he's a, a tremendous prospect. And I think it's, um, you know, I think they, they're just going to have to get a comfort level with the fact that any one of these guys, they might have to make him fit, you know, like they they might just have to adapt a little bit to, whichever one is available to them. Any one of them could, could be gone. Two of them could be gone. They could have one left. Um, and I think they're going to have to kind of be happy with, with any one of these three guys that they could get at 13. Hey, one right. more thing I wanted to mention about Burks is he has huge hands. Apparently he's got to have custom gloves, like four or five extra large gloves, but uh, they work for him. He, his catch rate is like over 70%. And that's something that Brown's really struggled with last year. Um, and if you don't bring back Rashard Higgins, you're losing a guy who had like, you know, over 70% catch rate. Uh, DPJ had a really good catch rate last couple of years, but the rest of the team really uh, struggled, especially last year. So, uh, you know, he's a guy who catches a lot of passes. He's not someone who uh, you're, you're, you're going to have to worry about that necessarily. Nine and seven eighths in his hand measurement, which tied Garrett Wilson 
for the second biggest hand among receivers here. Dan's guy, Sky Moore, gigantic yes. over 10 <laughs> inches there. I didn't get to talk to Sky Moore, but he's still he's, he's definitely still on my board after that, for sure. Yeah. All right, Doug, please, for the love of God, would you talk about somebody other than Garrett Wilson? Well, I just wanted to say it was a good day for getting Garrett Wilson to the Browns because he did weigh in lighter. So like that's, and I'm curious to see how he runs. Hope he doesn't run great. I mean, I'm not, again, like this, do not. I hope Garrett Wilson falls down in trips. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, so just like be aware of that. Uh, I, I, uh, I will talk a little bit about um, Jahan Dotson, who is someone that I listened to um, Penn state guy. Like real number one receiver again, a little small. I think five ten and a half. I think is what he measured in at. Um, but like really professional, and teams sold out to stop him this year, and they still found a way to get him the ball. Didn't play with a great quarterback at Penn State, um, but like is interesting in the back half of the first round. That if if it just gets not haywire, but if they just go a different direction early, you can't take Jahan Dotson at thirteen. But if they do something else, or I know some of us have, if you, if you have a trade down in their draft, or if they take somebody else at 13 and then you want them to trade up to try to get a receiver, this is where Jahan Dotson comes into play. And uh, supreme confidence in himself. Like I got like a little bit of like a Michael Thomas vibe, just trying to look for a comparison in terms of that guy's a pro. He's a pro right now. And the way he handles his business, the way he handled his business at Penn State, had a breakout game against Ohio State in 2020, had three touchdowns against them, can can play people at the highest level. And again, quarterback play at Penn State has not been very good the last couple of years. So if the situation for the Browns would have to get a little different, I think, for him to make any kind of sense. And I'd be a little, you know, it's hard because I don't know. I don't know what he's going to run. I don't think he's necessarily a speed burner. He's a little smaller for like a true number one guy if you're not super fast, but I think he's I think he's a capacity to learn guy as well. I think he's a, a super smart professional receiver who if the Browns wind up taking a receiver in the 20s or 30s maybe could be that guy. Yeah, he's not a number 1 guy. Um uh, he kind of like if you signed a number 1 guy, that's when you'd maybe start to look at uh, uh Jahan Dotson, 5'10 and a half, 178 uh, and a half inch hands uh, for Dotson. So definitely a smaller guy and and that's not the guy I mean, look, the reality is if you're going to, if you're going in to draft the number one wide receiver, you're not trading out of 13 or taking a defensive end. You know, you're, you're taking a receiver at 13. But if you sign Devontae Adams or Chris Godwin or whatever, if you spend a bunch of money on those guys, that's when you maybe start to look at a guy like Jahan Dotson or, you know, who we haven't talked about a lot is, you know, I don't know, what if David Bell comes out of this process looking really good? I know I've seen him kind of in the second round in, in a lot of mocks. So, there are guys that that's the thing about this receiver class. It's so deep that there's just guys that you're going to be able to get in the second or third round um, that, that are going to be pretty good, depending on what else you do with the roster. No, I have a question for the group. So Mary Kay, you go ahead first. I was just going to say, I just had an epiphany. Uh-oh. I just had an epiphany and I was, I was just glancing at, at Mina Kimes uh, tweet about Malik Willis <laughs> As we're talking about receivers and thinking, yeah, they're going to do this. As I read Mina Kimes, and you guys know I'm on record as saying I think they should draft Malik Willis at number 13. And she, she writes, she tweets, 
He's the most interesting player in the draft. His traits are unreal. There are going to be teams that look at him and have visions of Josh Allen and Justin Herbert. His ceiling is outer space. And then as I was reading that, I was thinking, it's a smokescreen. This whole thing is a smokescreen. They're drafting Malik Willis. They just don't want anybody to know it. So forget about all this receiver talk. It's over. They're trading up. They're drafting Malik Willis. No. Okay. Go ahead. That was just an aside. I do just want to say I walked past Mina Kimes today and there were like five people trailing behind her. Just like, I think people trying to talk to her. It was like walking past a movie star. She has like, she has presence, man. Like she is so smart on TV. And then in real life, I was almost like, that's Mina Kimes. She is, she's a star. Um, She's, She's a superstar. You're right. Not to be really weird. Weird. I already made it weird. <laughs> Sorry. No, no, no. You're you're right about that. It's just she's, I really admire what she does. She's incredible. She, she's got something about her. Um, I'm curious about the, the the way this works out. Obviously, free agency first, the draft second. The Browns are going to sign, right? Somebody we think at receiver, right? And if they sign a certain type of the receiver, how much do we think that will affect who they might draft? Like for instance. If they sign Mike Williams, does that take Traylon Burks and Drake London, or at least Drake London, off the board? If they sign a smaller receiver, does that take Garrett Wilson off the board because they sign a bigger receiver? I, I've said I think you sort of need to think about this receiver thing as a pair, but I'm curious from you guys if you, how much bearing you think the free agent acquisition will be on the type of receiver that they look to draft. Will it matter? Or will they just take the best guy? So, so this is where I wish, like, could you please just answer a question? You know, like th- this is one of those instances where like, if you just answer this question, it's not going to give away your entire team building strategy. But I, a few people asked, I tried to get at with both Kevin and Andrew, like what does an, what does an ideal receiving room look like for you? Do you want different types of body shapes and sizes? Do you want to look like the Titans and just have two huge guys around this really, around this stud running back? What, what does a room look like for you? You know, I mean, I've heard Michael Lombardi say that a receiving course should look like a basketball team, right? You want a big guy, a small guy, a shooting guard, a, a small forward. I, I don't know if we have an idea of exactly what they want their receiving room to look like yet, because Andrew Barry's sort of been handcuffed. He, he inherited Odell Beckham Jr. and Jarvis Landry. So I, I just wish there would have been a clear answer, but I would say, for me, if it was me making the picks, and thank God for Browns fans, it's not. If I signed a Mike Williams, I wouldn't want to draft. I probably wouldn't look to draft another guy that looks like Mike Williams. I'd want someone who's smaller and quicker and shiftier and causes problems in a different way than Mike Williams causes problems. You know, that makes sense. And, and that ideally in a perfect world, I think that's absolutely what you would do. But I don't know that they're going to have their choice. You know what I mean? Like they might, you know, sign the Mike Williams and then think that they're going to draft Garrett Wilson and then Garrett Wilson's gone. And then they're going to have to draft the best available receiver. And if he's the same body type, then they're just going to have to deal with it and find a shifty small other ways. So, you know, they're going to be at the mercy of what happens before them, unless of course, they use some of their picks to trade up. I mean, if they, if they sign a bigger guy and they really covet 
Garrett Wilson, uh, and he's starting to look like he's going to go, they can make a run. And I wouldn't be surprised if they do. So you can shape it that way, but some of it will, um, will have to do with what's available to them when their number is called. I think that they probably, I don't know if they've said this or not, but the way they would describe it is they want explosive players. And I mean, do they even have that small shifty guy on this team the last two years? I, that's not how you describe Jarvis Landry. No. Um, you know, they, they had similarities in this receiving core, you know, the height obviously fluctuated, but really there got a lot of guys who were kind of similar. Um, but I think they want explosiveness and then they want the opportunity for mismatches. And that's where the, the guys who kind of vary come into play. And I think you also have to include the tight ends when we're talking about the receiver room, since they use them so much, because even though Jarvis Landry was a slot receiver, uh, that's how we thought of him. He played less and less in the slot. Uh, the longer he's, you know, the more time he spent here. And also they use tight ends a ton in the slot. Um, so again, it's all mismatches. It's getting guys matched up against people who can't cover them as well. And if you have, if you have a receiver room with, you know, Jarvis Landry and Rashard Higgins and DPJ, maybe you don't have that versatility as much. Maybe that versatility is why you throw to your tight ends as much as you do. I will say that the tight end drills are happening on NFL network. Why we're reporting this. And I keep waiting for the NFL network to cut to Kevin Stefanski. Just they, they did. himself. They did. Was he said, Oh my, I can't believe <laughs> I just like, you know, we'll take a giant, an old fashioned fan. They did. I missed that. I missed the Stefanski. It was, it was right at the beginning, I think, when they were doing uh, the 40s. And uh, he was, he had his coffee. He looked very content to be sitting there watching tight ends. It's like a giant inside joke in football media that they like, we have to get Kevin Stefanski's reaction to these tight ends right now. No one loves them more. Yeah. We, we, and I don't know how many fans know this. I, my uncle texted me today too. I got a lot of texts today. And he was like, <laughs> he could not believe that we were not allowed to go in and watch the drills. And I said, no, I think there's a small pool of reporters, like a few mm-hmm. that do it, but generally we're all watching on TV. But if we were in there, I don't think we'd be watching the drills. I think we would have our binoculars on the coaches to, and, and like watching oh, yeah. them. Like that's what we would spend a lot of time doing. <laughs> Absolutely. To try to find out which ones are awake and which ones are asleep. That's vitally important. Um, I have to ask you a really quick question, Dan, because uh, when I was at the senior bowl and you guys know this, I did end up liking the game and the personality of little tiny diminutive Calvin Austin, the third from Memphis. And Dan, I know you talked to him in person. I, I, I listened a little, I didn't, I didn't actually get him. So my question to you is, and to, to you guys is, and you, you probably haven't really watched a ton of his film yet and you probably won't, but (laughs) is five, seven too small, or is there enough to like about this guy that you could think about him with the comp pick in the third round, perhaps? I I also, Oh, go ahead, Doug. No, I was gonna say I also listened to him and, and was found him inspiring Mary Kay, by the way. Yeah, his, I just his walk-on really story at Memphis and all that stuff. He is a really yeah. cool guy. I, I really actually is. texted Mary Kay. I, I said I thought he sounded he sounded like Andrew Hawkins. 
Yeah. And he's that like, is a like great comparison. <laughs> That's what I said. Sounded great exactly comp. like him. That's exactly what I told Dan yesterday. Perfect comp. And you know what? There's enough about this kid. I don't know. There's something about him. You talk about like a presence. He's got the it factor and he's small. If he had two more inches of height. And sometimes I wonder, why can't they just put a little elevator elevator thing in their shoe? Like, why is this not a thing? <laughs> right? I mean, I do it. I, I, I was wear, gonna say, that's where you wear your heels. I mean, I wear, I wear five inches heels wherever I go. I mean, why can't they just add like a two little inch, like little thing in the shoe? But anyways, um, or like a little platform on the shoe. Why are we not doing this? Maybe, maybe we can start like the, uh, you know, the cleveland.com elevator football shoes. But um, I, I think if he, had, if he were 5'9", he's the first, I think he's almost like a first round receiver at 5'9". If, if he's your second guy or a guy you take in the third or fourth round, if, if you take somebody smaller like that, I'd be okay with taking that chance. And, you know, with the Jarvis Landry discussion, Scott, you, you know, you mentioned we don't think about Jarvis as small and shifty. And a part of this, I think, is like, I, I almost feel like they want to find the new Jarvis Landry, except they want him to be like a 4-4 guy and not a 4-6 guy. Like, that was that's the one thing about Jarvis. He just doesn't have that speed. If they could find just a fast, a faster, but, you know, look, the guy's not going to be Jarvis Landry because Jarvis is – incredible with his hands and everything he does but if you can find a facsimile of that and a little bit faster i almost feel like that's one of the things they're looking for in this draft and maybe that would be a, a calvin austin because i mean jarvis isn't a huge guy um, he's obviously not five seven but he's, he's not a big guy either i think Wandale robinson from kentucky is another guy who might fit that a little bit that's a guy uh who some rondale more comparisons for Wandale robinson he's five eight so um, that's a little bigger, but I also wonder sometimes like, where does Demetric Felton fit into all of this? Is this that's true. not a role that do they, do they kind of have a guy like this um, already? So, I mean, Austin, I mean, Austin's five, eight, two, five, eight, one seventy. Wandale is five, eight, one seventy eight. I just worry about there's, there's a point where you get to inside. If you're not big enough where you just end up feeling more like a gadget guy to me mm-hmm. than like an every down guy. And, I know. and they're still trying to figure out how to use Felton. And I think like to get a guy like that in the sixth round, cool to get a guy like that in the third or fourth. It's like, I'm not sure if that's the way to go. And Scott, what position does Demetri Felton play? Wide receiver. <laughs> yes. Don't let him fool you. He's a wide receiver. <laughs> I think that's well-established in everything we write now about the running backs, considering it has that footnote about he's not included. <laughs> Jarvis Landry's probably was probably in the backfield more than Demetric Felton this past year. But listen, if they let Dearness walk and Demetric Felton ends up being that, that guy in that backfield, I'll call him a running back again. But until that happens, he's a wide receiver. Okay, there we go. That's our Friday edition of the Orange and Brown Talk podcast. Uh, full coverage of the Combine ongoing at cleveland.com slash brown that's also you can become a football insider subscriber the blue banner at the top of the page and as always make sure you're subscribed to this podcast wherever you listen to podcasts uh apple Podcasts, google play wherever spotify that's a big one i should mention uh wherever you listen to your podcast make sure you're subscribed so for mary Kay, doug ashley and scott i'm dan thanks for listening everybody